every weekend is the same thing and we just got a band together. Again, gunfire, mass casualties developing now. No parent should have to bury a child. The tsunami of shootings has leaders scrambling. What good is peace when you haven't addressed the war? The pain, now the plan. I've never had to mobilize the entire county. What our community wants is greater safety. Long-term focus, short-term crisis. Where our public services were supposed to be doing their job and they were asleep at the wheel. And the race for governor is on. I've spent my whole life taking on the system. Democrat Nikki Freed has some explaining to do. The news and the newsmakers all live, all this week in South Florida. Good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milberg. Again, today we begin as families in South Florida are getting that gut-wrenching news. Three people killed in gunfire, almost twice that many wounded this morning. Another mass shooting, this time outside a graduation party. Madeline Wright has been there in Southwest Miami-Dade and Kendall all morning long covering this. She joins us now with an update. Uh, update. Madeline, what's the latest there? Good morning, Glenna and Michael. This comes exactly one week after the mass shooting at El Mula Banquet Hall, which left three people dead and 20 others injured. The Miami-Dade police director is fed up with the senseless violence. The latest shooting happened right near this intersection. One of the victims who died is a state corrections officer. Three people dead after another mass shooting in South Florida. It happened outside a hookah lounge and restaurant at Southwest 104th Street and Southwest 109th Court around 2 o'clock this morning. There was some sort of uh, graduation party occurring that was just finishing in the parking lot of the strip mall behind me. Uh, as patrons were leaving, one or maybe two vehicles pulled up and began to fire at the crowd. Two men fleeing the shooting crashed into a wall at Miami-Dade College's Kendall campus and were pronounced dead at the scene. Sharika Reed says that car belongs to her sister's son. I'm just concerned more about her, you know, and pray that that's not my nephew in that car. His name is William Everett, and he's just a humble, sweet kid. A Florida corrections officer who was shot drove herself to Jackson South Medical Center, where she ultimately succumbed to her injuries. The surviving victims also drove themselves to the hospital. They were listed in stable condition. You hear this plague of gun violence. It's happening throughout our country, throughout our youth, throughout our communities, and this is the new pandemic. Back live at Miami-Dade College North Campus, the vehicle that crashed into a wall here, a firearm was recovered inside of that vehicle. This shooting comes just three days after an operation called Operation Summer Heat that aims to combat the sudden spike in gun violence in Miami-Dade County. Live in Southwest Miami-Dade, Madeline Wright, Local 10 News. Madeline, thank you. The debate over how to stop the gun violence has Miami-Dade leaders grappling with where and how millions of dollars are best spent. Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava rolled out what she calls her peace and prosperity plan, but some county commissioners say that some of the money in that plan would be wasted. They are demanding immediate action, and one of them is Commissioner Keone McGee, now the point person for the Commission on Gun Violence. His South Dade district has experienced nearly one shooting every day in the last year. He joins us live via Zoom. Commissioner, good morning. Glad to see you. Good morning, Commissioner. Same here, Michael and Glenna. Thank you very much. And, um, 
again, your platform gives us an opportunity to discuss uh, this epidemic that has ravaged our community. Yeah, well, obviously, let's begin with this latest instance, this part of this tsunami of gun violence, the one down in Kendall, not far from your district. Uh, and I think people just are saying to themselves, what in the world is going on here? First, you have Memorial Day weekend. Now you've got this weekend. I mean, we, we have casualties all over the place. What do you say? Michael, what I say is first and foremost to the family members, of the young uh, victims of this morning. Our prayers and thoughts are with you, but we have to do more. Uh, right now, what we're looking at is putting together a plan, and that plan will be executed even more uh, this, this coming week uh, after the commission vote uh, to push forth the mayor's plan. Without a question, gun violence is up. This is not about a district thing or a, a, a county thing. This is a, an entire country problem that we're starting to see uh, raise its ugly head. And unfortunately, unfortunately, many times the killers are getting away. And that is what we are asking that for the community to join forces with us on, addressing these killers who are wrecking havoc within our community. And there's one way we can do that. We have to put aside the political bickering. We have to put aside the partisan politics. We have to go at this together as the mayor, the commission, um, the, the community, and the police. And before I stop, stop that on that point, Michael, I have to say, to the police department, especially Miami-Dade County. You're doing a wonderful job, and the more resources are on its way. All right, Commissioner, you're talking conceptually a lot, and respectfully, it's nothing that this community has not heard. But I want to talk about the meeting that you had, the discussion at the commission level this weekend. You and some of your fellow commissioners were very critical of the mayor's, what she's calling the peace and prosperity plan, and not the components of it, because this is a long-term plan addressing the roots of violence. But you were very critical, uh, and among others, that something needs to be done much more expediently, much more urgently, much more right now. And, and I want to talk about that component because, Commissioner, you were kind of en fuego at that meeting. <laughs> and, and you brought up some really interesting points about stopping the killing now, getting the killers off the streets. Why isn't that happening? Well, there, there are many reasons why uh, the killers are at this moment looking at us and, and laughing at us. They understand that the, the issue is that with the police department, uh, you know, there's a morale issue there because at the, at the end of the day, they feel that they may not have a support of the community. And on the flip side, the community sees uh, and, and the police department as not doing enough. Therefore, there's a question about trust between the community and the police. Let me, so, let me just stop that, you there. What, what is the police? We had last week on this program, Director Freddie Ramirez was here uh, and very passionately talking about what they're doing. We have uh, the Miami police chief is coming up in a little while on this program. They've got a plan. Uh, the director was in front of the commission asking for certain things, license plate readers, cameras. What, what are they not doing, as you just said? Well, it, it's, it's not what they are not doing. It is what we are not doing. We have to address this collectively. This is not going to be a police plan. This is not going to be a commission plan. This is not going to be a community plan. This is not going to be a mayor plan. This is going to be a collective plan that we can deal with this collective issue. And the issue right now is how do we bring in these killers? And I can tell you, Glenda, from my past experience as an assistant state's attorney here in Miami-Dade County, also someone who has lost a brother, uh, a brother, uh, have lost uh, a father, and I've lost countless cousins to this type of violence, I can say to you that what must be had is a concerted effort, not finger-pointing at the mayor or the county, 
commission or the community or the police. But looking at this from the standpoint and through the lenses of how do we secure our community? And so when you heard me passionately plead from the commission last week, it was not so much to criticize the mayor or criticize anyone who's helping bring forth a plan. It was only to, to inform them about how best we should tackle this issue. And we need all hands on deck. That's the only way we're going to be able to tackle yeah. this issue. Well, I suspect all hands are on deck, especially now after this latest incident. Uh, Commissioner McGee, uh, thanks to the naming rights package from the FTX uh, uh, arena, there is a, what about nine million dollars that's been set aside to address gun violence and to really it's a sizable a sizable amount of money. How is that money going to be divvied up? Should it not go to the districts, uh, commission districts, where in fact most of the shootings have taken place, which are your district, that of Commissioner Keone McGee and Commissioner Oliver Gilbert? Well. We should look at it from the standpoint, the standpoint of uh, how to proportionally spend this money. And I believe you place the money where there are uh, the most issues. Uh, and we're not simply saying my district, because you have to remember, the reality of it is, is in District 9, uh, the gun violence issue was, was prior to my coming into office. And that was one of the reasons I believe that this community elected me to come in and deal with uh, the crime violence, the gun violence, and it's really head on. And so the, the homicides had recently taken place, I am here uh, as a representative of District 9 to deal with it. But it's just not District 9 that has these issues. We have District 8, we have District 3, District 1. Now we're seeing District 7 uh, uh, and, uh, and District 2. So we're starting to see that this is not just relegated to one district or one uh, geographical location. This thing has spread throughout the entire county. And the way we're going to address it is as a collective body without finger pointing. And so at this particular moment, we want to see our mayor succeed. We want to see the community succeed. We want to see the commission succeed. And we want to see the police succeed. But yeah. that's going to have to happen with a collective yeah. effort. Commissioner, and if, come this Tuesday, we're yeah. going to deliver that collective effort message yeah. uh, with everything we're seeing. And, and I do respect what my great uh, friend over at the director, uh, Ramirez, stated for the police department. Operation Summer Heat, he, they rolled it out, and it's, it's, it's going to work. And I believe in what he said. And when I asked, I asked him and I asked the mayor, are there any other things that they need, any other tools they need uh, to address this issue, they believe that this is going to be what's going to take, it, take them uh, to the victory lane as it relates to bringing in these killers. You know, Commissioner, you said something at that meeting that uh, really piqued my interest. You challenged this community in that you didn't think that anybody would be focusing on it like they are this week, if not for this spate of shootings making national headlines. And uh, I believe your words were embarrassing South Florida on a national stage. I wonder if you would expand on that thought a little bit. Yeah, 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 Glenn. The reality of it is, is there's no other place uh, that gives you the uh, attributes that we're seeing here in the state of Florida or any in the country than Miami-Dade County, right? You have the sunshine, you have the beaches, you have the nightlife, you have the family life, you have the agricultural uh, setup here. Uh, unfortunately, when the shooting occurred, um, the mass shooting, and, and it was broadcast throughout the nation and throughout the world as I, as I received the telephone call, you know, it, it was an embarrassing moment. But because it's an embarrassing moment, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not a teachable moment. And so this teachable moment is something that we must grab and hold on to. And that's why when we see uh, Commissioner uh, Keon Hardiman 
pushing forth this plan and, and, and executing on this plan and taking in some of our concerns, he too and, and the rest of the commission, including our leader on the commission, Pepe Diaz, we want to move from that embarrassing moment and allow that to be a teachable moment that will bring all of us together in unity. And when is your next meeting? Is it not Wednesday when you and the commissioners, fellow commissioners, are going to meet? Yeah, we're going to meet up. We're going to meet Tuesday, uh, Tuesday. and we're going to address this, and we're going to have a special meeting more than likely Wednesday so that we can give the mayor the tools uh, that she's asked for, give the police department the tools uh, that uh, they, they've asked for, and also make sure that the commission uh, provides whatever other tools that the mayor and the police department are asking for to yeah. combat this gun violence oh. and bring these killers to justice. Commissioner Keone McGee, great to speak with you. We will be, of course, Local 10 News will be at that meeting on Tuesday and report everything that goes on. Thanks so much. We always value the passion you. and perspective. Thanks, Commissioner. All right, next, the view from a law enforcement leader. Miami's new police chief is with us live next. As we've been telling you, we have had a horrific mass shooting down in Kendall this morning, but in the city of Miami this week, also a lot of gun violence, including gunfire and deaths in Wynwood and Midtown. For sure, no slow start for the Miami for Miami's new police chief, who's made headlines for his criticism nationally of inadequate consequences for lawbreakers and unsatisfactory court outcomes. And Chief Art Acevedo is with us live from the car, Chief. <laughs> the yeah, car. The car. The, uh, the Tahoe, uh, we're working and uh, we're trying to uh, keep this community safe. You know, Chief, um, we, we do value your time and really appreciate your time with us here. And I wanted to start with something I'm not sure if you heard County Commissioner Keone McGee talk about. Um, you've experienced in your city shootings this week there uh, and, and a lot of different days as well. Uh, not only the ones that make the news, crime and bullets increasingly have no boundaries. And I wonder if you would expand on that a little bit, because especially nationally, anything that happens in South Florida is Miami to people who aren't here. I mean, in this image conscious city, you must be having a time of it this week. Well, look, uh, forget the image. What we care about is people. We care about lives. We care about families. We care about dreams that are shattered. And uh, I really, I did listen to the commissioner. really appreciated his comments and uh, the entire, as a, as a uh, city resident, but, uh, or soon to be city resident, I'm actually moving in, hopefully by the end of about two weeks to my new home, our family. Um, it really is heartening to see our leaders come together so we don't turn into a Chicago, we don't turn into uh, a, a city that uh, that makes the, the national headlines. And so that should be heartening for everybody. But what you started with was the fact that in this country, we have been coddling violent criminals now for a couple of years, and we're starting to see that those uh, those seeds of weakness are starting to, uh, uh, to uh, pray fruit in terms of the violence going on across the country. And it's time for us to rethink. Uh, how we treat people that are committing violence, including our jury system. You know, our jurors need not, I've been told by a lot of people that our jurors tend to, you know, be forgiving, uh, tend to uh, uh, give people a pass. And, uh, you know, uh, you cannot give pass to people that are out hurting people. And Can that's you, sort of the coward. I, Chief, can, can you just co coddling 
coddling criminals. That's an interesting phrase. I think anyone who watches the justice system here knows exactly what you're talking about. And there are, there are repeat criminals who avoid prosecution. And I wonder for those who are not so familiar with how prosecutions go, what does that mean? Explain that. Well, what, what it means, uh, and I can tell you from the national perspective, this is a conversation we're having. I just talked to the Department of Justice, the number two person of the Department of Justice uh, at the national level uh, last week. We have a, 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 a movement right now in our country uh, with a lot of prosecutors and judges that are, a lot of them are fairly new, uh, that don't understand that you, you've got to put bad people in prison. And I can tell you that around the country, police officers are chasing apprehending, arresting, and bringing uh, uh, reports forward on people that are shooting people, and they're going in one door, not the other, not to mention the fact that uh, our court system across the country, uh, too many of our juries, too many of our judges across the country, and too many of our prosecutors, when we catch felons with firearms, nothing happens. They, they don't, these, 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 these bad actors are not afraid of death. Their mindset is that they're not going to live long. They're probably going to die young. So they're not afraid of death. What the only thing they fear is prison. Uh, and so I'm, I'm I'm glad that our federal partners are going to be taking on more cases. And I'm hopeful after meeting with our judges and our prosecutors here that uh, we're going to be the exception to that yeah. uh, to that latest wave of coddling criminals in uh, in this county. Uh, and hopefully that will yeah. encourage them to go commit their crimes and their violence somewhere else. Yeah. Chief Acevedo, you have been a law enforcement officer in California. Houston, we're glad you're in Miami. As you know from your experience, prosecutors, both here in Miami-Dade, Broward County, Monroe, they take serious cases, but they only want to go to trial on cases where they are assured of a conviction. And the great majority of cases, the criminals or the alleged criminals are allowed to plead down to a lesser charge. And often they do uh, avoid a stiff prison sentence. So what is your advice to prosecutors? Uh, should they try more people? Should they not do these plea deals? Look, I, I, my, my, uh, I've been 35 years doing this job, and I can tell you that my, my suggestion to prosecutors across the country is that if we can tie someone to 18 counts of robbery, let's charge them with 18 counts of robbery. Uh, because what's happening, uh, or assault, or aggravated assault, or attempted murder, a lot of places around this country right now, we can tie someone to 18 violent crimes, and they'll be charged with one. And so then the judges will give them a slap on the wrist. Uh, and so, hey, we got to call balls and strikes. We've got to bring, I think, transparency. Uh, law enforcement puts up all their data. We, we need the criminal justice system across the nation uh, to actually start being a lot more transparent so people can see what's happening in our courtrooms and with prosecutors and with everyone. We all need to put all of our cards on the table uh, so the public can make a, a, an assessment of uh, how the system is working uh, nationwide. I, I think in the future we might have that conversation and bring in prosecutors because mm -hmm. I know that they probably would have a say with with what you're telling us now, but I, I wanna just get a little more detailed if we can in the short time we have together. Soon after taking the position, you announced this 90-day saturation, and we're talking about the city of Miami, which is a relatively small part of the county, and yet um, you had five areas where you had said 80% of the shootings occur, Little Havana, Little Haiti, uh, Overtown, there's the map, Alapata, Model City. Uh, you can see the map, you can see the concentration. Three weeks in, 
uh, this saturation of officers, this daily briefings. Give us an update. We're about, what, a quarter of the way into this 90-day plan. H have you seen the needle move? Well, I can look. Last time I checked, I think last year we had nine homicides in uh, in the month of May uh, in, uh, in the city of Miami. This year, I think we had three. So the needle is moving. Uh, and I'm, uh, la last night, I actually worked patrol at about 5 a.m. in a marked unit. On my way out, I, I uh, ran into some of our, uh, our, our uh, jail personnel. They said, Chief, uh, this, uh, this initiative sure seems like there's a lot of arrests coming through. So uh, I think it is having an impact. Uh, but again, uh, it's a matter of all of us coming together. Not to mention, I went to a scene, encountered a, a drunk driving crash, and uh, and the witness was really, really hesitant to come forward. Uh, it took me a little coaxing, probably about 20 minutes while we were there. Uh, but finally, this man did the right thing and stood up uh, for his community. And so uh, the other piece that's really important is the community itself. People have to stand up. Uh, for their neighbors, for their friends, for their family, and for a stranger. And when we do that, we're going to end up with a safer community. So it's time for all of us to do our share. It's going to take everyone yeah. rowing in the same direction. But I'm, uh, I'm confident that we're going to be able to stem uh, the flow. And I promise you, we're going to be making arrests in the city of Miami for some of these shootings we've had recently in the upcoming days and weeks. And, uh, and we're going to bring justice uh, to the families of our victims. Chief, I heard you earlier this week at a news conference make a, I thought, a interesting insight into police work. You said formerly there used to be turf wars. Now yeah. we sort of have these drive-by wars we have had, you know, in Miami-Dade County over the last two weeks or so, at least three or four instances where people in cars drive by a, a gathering of some kind you know, and just open fire. The one there in Northwest Miami-Dade, you know, the Almula, they were out of their car for 10 seconds. That's all yeah. it took. So the question becomes, how do you stop people intent on this kind of violence? Well, look, it takes, uh, it takes uh, a, a, a well-balanced and a comprehensive approach. Uh, it, it includes the investing in the communities, investing in pre-K education, investing in jobs training, investing in quality uh, public in, uh, education, but that's a long-term strategy. In the short term, we've got to have more cops on the streets. We've got we've got to take these uh, crooks off the streets. And once we make the arrest and we provide the probable cause and make the case, uh, then we need to have the courts and the prosecutors and everyone else. And, and ultimately, the jurors have to hold people accountable. There have to be consequences. Uh, these, these bad actors, if they think that it's going to be tougher on them in Broward County than it is in Dade County or some other county, guess what they're going to do? They're going to do a risk versus gain uh, analysis. They're going to come and do their things down here. And so uh, it starts with a lot of things, but it ends with all of us coming together uh, to hold people accountable and stand for one another. And, and I'm confident, as I've only been here for like six, uh, six and a half weeks, uh, that we're going to stem the flow. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind because, again, I got to meet with our judges. Uh, they seem to be on board. They seem to be ready uh, to rock and roll. I think the prosecutor's re ready to rock and roll, but we'll ultimately see. jurors need to rock and roll as well. Chief Art Acevedo, always appreciate your time. Thank you. Chief, and thank you. We now have the attention, so let's see. <laughs> let's just rock and roll. All right, this week, the fight to curb violence also focused on unlicensed businesses. And that is a focus of our next guest, too. The chair of Miami-Dade's Black Affairs Advisory Board is with us live.
As we have been talking about this week's shootings, focus national attention on gun violence in Miami-Dade and a community struggling to find ways to stop the shootings. Miami-Dade's Black Affairs Advisory Board took aim at the unlicensed party business functions like the one where the mass shooting happened northwest Miami-Dade this past week. And Board Chair Stephen Johnson, a friend of this program, is back with us. Stephen, welcome back. Good to see you. Hi, Stephen. Good morning. All right, so you look at this uh, uh, billiard hall, whatever it was, El Mula, and it was only late in the week that police said to code inspectors, hey, it looks like something is amiss there. And then they went in and cited it and closed it down. Why didn't that happen earlier, you wonder? Well, and therein lies our concern. What we wanted to see is coordination between code enforcement and our police. If the police are getting called for whatever reason repeatedly to a business, then maybe it's time to have code take a look at the business. Um, I know that when there are uh, opportunities to collaborate and collaboration happens, you can actually get effective change. And one of the things that I've heard, I think from both of your other guests is that in order to deal with this problem, we need to deal with it collectively and in a collaborative way. I just want to see our departments within the county similarly collaborating to uh, deal with trouble spots as, as we identify them. That, that certainly has turned out to be the theme of this program today, that we are all in this together for sure. Yeah. At the Black Affairs Advisory Board meeting this week, you said a couple of things. You said public services were asleep at the wheel. You said that this is problems have gone unchecked. Sounds like, Stephen, your finger was pointed in this meeting directly at the leaders of this community. I guess this is sort of a follow question to what we were just talking about. Why have public services been asleep at the wheel when, frankly, we have shootings almost daily? It, it's sad. Here's what I've noticed, that we've allowed ourselves to be uh, complacent when there is what is known as black-on-black -black crime. We almost expect it as though it's okay. What I'm saying is it's not okay, and we need to wake up. It, it's, it's, uh, you've had organizations like the Circle of Brotherhood who actually went on a hunger strike a year and a half ago trying mm -hmm. to deal with this, and nothing else changed. And here we are now in 2021 after now it's been two weekends of multiple shootings in the same manner across our county. Um, everyone has a role to play. And we all were sleep at the wheel. I got to put point my finger at myself. We have to point our fingers at ourselves. Our county governments need to point their fingers at themselves and say we've allowed something to occur that we knew was a problem. And now it's time for us to wake up and address it yeah. collectively. Yeah, Stephen, on Friday afternoon, I happened to do an interview with Lyle Muhammad, the executive director of the Circle of Brotherhood with some other community-based groups that work in black neighborhoods trying to improve lives. And um, they were saying, look, we've got a lot of money coming to help do this kind of stuff, but nobody's paying attention to us. We are in the community trying to uh, make it safer, make schools better, improve housing. Should they be getting some of the money and the responsibility? 
I'm not going to speak to every group there because I don't know that every group there is, is uh, aligned with dealing with some of these problems. I can say that the Circle of Brotherhood was yeah. on the front line. Yeah. But there are organizations like the Liberty City Optimists, I'm wearing their head right now, right. who I know for a fact have been on the front line of dealing with our children. The 100 Black Men of South Florida. There are organizations that do the work and they do the work on shoestring budgets. So holistically, what they're saying is, if you're going to deploy resources, let's deploy resources where they matter. I think that's important. I think it's also important for us to consider that we need to stop looking at this as a uh, 12 to 13 year old problem, meaning looking at little kids. Some of our problems are coming from folks who have graduated or for whatever reason matriculated out of high school. It's sort of that 18 to 22 age group that we need to look at what are we doing how are we making sure that the opportunities that that there are opportunities to allow them to do something different? Steve Gallen, my friend, he, he he said very eloquently, look, everybody who's shooting might not have been interested in a summer internship or a summer job, but those summer internships and summer jobs often detract and remove people from wanting to be shooters, as it were. I want to talk about, I mean, from the outside looking in, we can see patterns over the last couple of weeks to a lot of these shootings. Um, they all involve, involve drive-bys. They involve these kind of businesses where parties, pop-ups, raves uh, have occurred. All of them are advertised on social media. There is a demographic of young people who attend these things, and then there is this gun culture. Talk, if you would, as someone who is heavily entrenched in helping these kind of kids, mentoring kids, about how to how to address that. I, I wanted to use the word attack that because the criminal element within that demographic is very clear. Look, if for young people, young people will follow whoever is making the biggest impact in their lives, right? The the idea of the 100 black men in South Florida, for instance, is what they see is what they'll be, meaning get in front of our kids and let them know you have these other career choices. We live in a world where uh, you've got kids doing uh, uh, apps and making money from that, and you've got kids investing in crypto and learning about crypto and making money from that. Our job needs to now be to tell kids there are things you can do and, and things you can be um, that Steven, don't involve any of that. You don't, you don't point, need a gun to become a crypto millionaire. You don't need a gun well taken. To, yep. to develop an app. As you know, um, we are always tight on time, so I'm going <laughs> to have to end it there. But your perspective is so valuable. And talking about kids needing you, yours, we can hear in the background, <laughs> need you right now. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Thanks, everyone. All right, take care. All right. Up next, election day, a year and a half away, but the race for Florida governor is well underway now. Boy, is it ever this week to no one's surprise. Nikki Freed officially jumped into the race, and she is going to join us next.
Florida's only statewide elected Democrat is now running for governor. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed made it official this week. Ah, though she has been hinting at it for months, she is a constant and relentless critic of Governor Ron DeSantis, whom she is running to unseat. But she has to win the Democratic primary first, likely against Congressman Charlie Crist. And now candidate for Governor Nikki Freed is with us live. Hi, Nikki, Commissioner. Hi, good afternoon, What do we everyone. call you? Can we call you Nikki? <laughs> Commissioner, good morning or good afternoon now. Great to have you. Great to have you, you with us. Uh, we'll get to the reasons why you are running for governor just a minute. First, I have to ask you, four days before your announcement on Tuesday, you amended your financial disclosure form and said, oh, hey, I forgot to list $351,000 I earned last year as a medical marijuana lobbyist. Uh, it seems like kind of an oops moment. Well, why didn't you report that earlier? No, it wasn't an oops moment. It was a, a clerical mistake. What basically what happened when I declared in 2018, I had only reported my salary uh, up until that point. And so as we're going back through my documents, writing, ready for filing, um, my, we realized with my attorneys that we were supposed to have reported my whole 2017, not just uh, income, but my expenditures as well as reimbursements from clients. So we were being uh, transparent, uh, which is kind of ironic considering that, you know, neither Trump or, or DeSantis uh, has ever done that, um, but we wanted to make sure that we were transparent and we went back through and, and made sure that we made those changes. But all those changes um, reflect even things that I have been reporting that I had to report uh, as a lobbyist. So that's always been public. It was just going through and making sure that it was accurate as far as gross income versus the salary that I had reported for 2018. So, so done and explained. However, this is now the subject of an ethics complaint filed this week. And address if you would I mean things like this really give opposition a chance to attack mm -hmm. you know of course and again it's ironic uh, that they're going on this witch hunt against me and my prior company uh, considering that this was done 24 hours after DeSantis had taken a hundred thousand dollar likely illegal campaign contribution uh, and now they want to go after this these are things that uh, only using their, their power both on political fronts and now state resources for this witch hunt uh, again I was trying to be as as open and honest uh, made a mistake uh, that's humility and transparency that we don't see the, with the Republican Party uh, I had done nothing wrong and this is the kind of information that we're gonna dispute misinformation that we're gonna see through the next 18 months which is unfortunate because the people of our state uh, deserve so much better than this uh, bickering back and forth uh, and using power but again you know I'm out here to break the system and they don't like what I have to say and they know that we're gonna win in 2022 so I, they're can, gonna use that can, tactic. can I just stop you for a minute I don't want I don't want to let that get away a legal campaign contribution charge governor I you know, obviously is not here and I'm not sure what you're talking about. Can you specify that? Because we'll need to respectfully no. fact check that. 100%. Uh, so he received a campaign contribution, a $100,000 check uh, from a, a shadow uh, money. So there has been allegations that this was an illegal campaign contribution. We don't know where this money co is coming from. Uh, this uh, individual contribution has been flagged uh, in previous years. Uh, so again, their, their campaign is in chaos trying to figure out uh, what to do with this. Uh, but this is, again, part of their, their game book. They take dark money. Look what happened in the Miami races, uh, the dark money on ghost candidates. 
and they don't want to address that in a legislative session. Instead, they, they vote on so, voter suppression bills. So there was an illegal campaign contribution that we saw and alleged, um, you know, we are certainly waiting for uh, their ethics committees as well on a national front to be looking into it. But from everything that we have seen, uh, that this is a potential and illegal campaign contribution. Okay. And worth to say that do that dark money is completely legal in the state of Florida. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. <laughs> Nikki, if, let's get to your candidacy. It's the big news. Politically, I think, of the week, uh, you put out a video announcing your candidacy. You also put out an interesting tweet. I want to put it up on the screen here. People can see what you said, because what you said was, uh, it's time to break, here we go, it's time to break the rigged, rigged, corrupt system in Florida. That's why I'm running for governor. Wow, that is some loaded language. What is rigged and corrupt uh, that you are referring to? Everything, everything. Uh, it starts off with how many constitutional amendments can we, the people, vote for in the last 20 plus years? Whether it was uh, for the environment, for the doc stamps going into environmentally conscious conservation, uh, to medical marijuana, to class size, to the lottery, to the bullet train, uh, to restoration of civil rights. And every single time that the people vote, it gets up to Tallahassee and the special interests take over and they dismantle that. Look at what happened last year with the unemployment system. This is a system that was designed under Republican governor leadership starting back. A contract was first signed under then uh, Governor uh, Charlie Chris was impact was actually installed and worked through under Rick Scott. And then Governor DeSantis knew all the problems and nothing was changed. And so the system was designed to rig and to hurt the people of our state. Same thing with our economy. You know, the, uh, Ron signed a piece of legislation this year that increased our taxes by over a billion dollars. Yet at the same time, cut taxes to the corporations, the one percenters, yeah. by half a million dollars. Commissioner, let me, let, let, if I may, just stop you for a second. You know, if in fact you become the governor, the legislature still would be controlled by the Republican Party. They are the ones who have, in many ways, disregarded the will of the people. I mean, look what they did with the cruise ships going into Key West. They simply overturned a referendum. But how would you, as a Democrat dealing with a Republican legislature, get anything done? Well, first off, uh, my background will tell you that that it is possible. Uh, I was brought up in, in Miami with a, a diehard de Republican as a father, diehard Democrat as a mother. Um, dinner table conversations were always uh, interesting and was able to kind of learn from both sides and come to compromise. Did the same thing when I was a government consultant up in Tallahassee working on issues, worked with both sides of the aisle. And I'd done that as, as commissioner. My first legislative session, we passed a monumental piece of legislation legalizing hemp here in the state of Florida received one no vote um, in both chambers all three committees the bills were sponsor sponsored by Republicans I talked to Republicans on a very normal basis okay, uh, Mish, we, yeah. can, can we sit tight for a minute and take a quick break <laughs> absolutely <laughs> okay right. thanks see you we'll in two. Take, <laughs> stay tuned We are back with Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Fried in her official capacity as candidate for governor. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this current impasse between Governor DeSantis and the cruise industry, critical to the state. The cruise industry trying to right, right the ship of business after the pandemic uh, under CDC mandate that most of the passengers and crew are vaccinated, whereas the governor has banned 
vaccine passports and even asking for proof. So this week, right after you announced for governor on a, on a cable news interview, you suggested that the cruise lines look at leaving Florida if the governor's not willing to work with them, which frankly is kind of a strange thing to hear from someone wanting to run the state about this giant economic driver. Can you yeah. explain that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's first go back to how we got here. You know, Ron DeSantis went through this pandemic. It was his way or the highway, um, wanting to believe that he was right about everything. And, you know, again, I go back to what I was always taught about the Republican Party, that it's supposed to be less government, less government intrusion, uh, small government as far as local government, and less taxes, less spending, and free market. Ron DeSantis took free market away from the cruise line industry and so many businesses across the entire state. And so the, the, the cruise line industry has to make a business decision of what is going to be best for their patrons as well as best for their, their customers, their, their people that actually work on the cruise line industry. This cruise line industry is paramount to the state of Florida um, as far as the amount of tourists that bring that brought in here, the amount of jobs associated with the, with the industry. Of course, nobody wants the industry to leave. Uh, somebody who went on cruises about twice a year, of course, of course, I don't want him to leave, but the governor has to work with people and has to understand compromise and that free market has got to run rule the day here. And that is not what he has done. So I am hoping that he continues to work with the cruise line industry. They're necessary for our economy and I hope that they don't leave, um, but they need to make decisions what's best for, for their industry, which is what free market means. Uh, and so hopefully they're going to be able to come up with some compromise that isn't going to put the people that are wanting to be on the industry come onto a cruise uh, in peril of getting COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, Nikki, uh, you have been relentlessly critical of Governor DeSantis. He returned the favor this week, you know, uh, really in a, I think, kind of a nasty way, put you down, said you are a lockdown lobbyist and, and other things. But, you know, when you look at the way he handled COVID-19, going into ALFs and long-term care facilities, sending in National Guard teams to uh, vaccinate seniors, uh, would you concede that he, in some ways, did a good, good job for the seniors of the state of Florida? You know, what I'm going to, you know, what I have said from time and time again about how Governor DeSantis has dealt with this pandemic is in a non-transparent, non-empathetic, uh, his way or the highway type of approach, didn't bring in local governments, didn't bring in the business community to make decisions, didn't bring in congressional delegation, and really was short-sighted on, on how he dealt with this and went on a national tour to go around saying how he was successful. 37,000 people died in our state. People lost family members, lost their jobs and he didn't care. He cared about being right. And look what he did when the rollout of the vaccine, he made it a hunger games for our seniors. While they all are now hopefully vaccinated. Nikki, I, I, I hate, I, I apologize, hate to do it, but we are out of time. But Glenna and I invite you to come back. Uh, there's a long time between now and the primary. Maybe we'll get you and Charlie Chris together. That would be fantastic. <laughs> our, our apologies. There was breaking news today. Uh, and so we will have you back for sure and appreciate your time so much. Thanks again. Thank Absolutely. you. Have a great day, everyone. You too. Stay tuned. So grateful you are here with us for this hour. Remember, we're online 24-7 at Local10.com. And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.